Hi everyone, I'm Luke Marzano from the Church Relevance Podcast. This is a weekly discussion series with ministry leaders whose stories offer valuable advice and guidance. We engage in vital dialogue to encourage Christian leaders who might be battling burnout, navigating conflict, or struggling to find balance. Our mission is to ignite passion, create community, and inspire new ministry, one conversation at a time. Today we get to sit down with Reverend Michael York, who's one of the pastors of First Presbyterian Church in Vero Beach, Florida. He's also served churches in the suburbs of Atlanta and in a small town in South Carolina. He served churches of 250, 700, and over 1,000 members. Today we're discussing creating, establishing, and nourishing an intergenerational ministry for your church and community. Welcome to the Church Relevance Podcast. I'm Luke Marzano, and today I'm joined by my co-host, Ashley Gattuso. Ashley, how's it going today? It's going great. How are you, Luke? I'm great. I'm even more excited because we're speaking with Reverend Michael York from First Presbyterian Church of Vero Beach. Michael, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you for having me. I look forward to our conversation this morning. I do as well. And we're going to kind of jump into it and let let the listeners get to know you a little better. Uh, So with that, I have some basic questions for you. Uh, What's your official title and role and and where are you located? Uh, So uh, uh, my official title is Associate Pastor. Uh, we like to say, um, both the senior pastor here and myself, we are one of the pastors of First Presbyterian Church in Vero Beach. Um, Vero is a um, always kind of gets a rap as a retirement community, um, but in some of my studies, have found that it's a little more well-rounded than than at first glance. Uh, so I do any everything from oversee our children's ministry, youth ministry, older adult ministry. Um, I do some administrative things, oversee staff. I uh, get to preach um, on the regular, and um, as a, a journalist associate, I do just about um, a little bit of everything. And how long have you been serving in the ministry? Um, I've been in ministry. I graduated from seminary, uh, Columbia Seminary, in 2006. Um, prior to that, I was a, a high school chorus teacher and part-time youth director when I when I got a sense of call to ministry. So I've been doing some form of ministry really uh, as a camp counselor or something since 96, but as an ordained pastor um, since 2006. You're working on a degree right now? I am. I'm I'm working and kind of in the final stages of my doctorate of ministry in um, gospel and culture and the transformation of the church. Wow. How much longer do you have on that? I'm getting ready to take my last actual class uh, this October, which is um, uh, the Theology of Community. Um, which is really exciting. And then I start my research and dissertation in 2020 to graduate in 21. So, Wow, that's exciting. We'll, we'll be praying for you. I'm sure it's not a, a cruise by. <laughs> well, it's, it's been a great experience. I, I was telling somebody today, I, you know, I, I think I become a better student the more I realize I don't learn or that I don't already know. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the time you're doing your doctor, you're like, oh my gosh, there's still so much out there that I could study this and I could study that. And I don't even know what I want to do my final dissertation on. And so it's been a, it's been a great process. So thank you for your, for your prayers. Oh, absolutely. And kind of with that, like, if you wouldn't mind, let us know a little more of what brought you to where you are today, to seminary, to pursuing your doctorate. Well, as I mentioned, um, I was a camp counselor. Uh, when I was a high school student, I was a camp counselor for middle school camp. Um, for a couple weeks and really uh, enjoyed that. Um, was a camp counselor for for three full summers as a college student, and was you know was going to double major in college and in, in music education and religion, so that I could be a pastor. Um, but remember my 
my pastor when I was in high school, who was a second career pastor, said to me, if there's anything else you can do, do it. You know, if you feel called to ministry, make sure that you're really called to it. Um, so that's when I pursued um, music education. I taught high school chorus and drama, loved it, had a, a phenomenal experience for a couple of years doing that. And while I was doing that was um, working with the youth at my church in South Carolina um, part time, 20 hours a week, and found myself putting as much time and energy into that part time job as I was my full time job. Um, and since that full that full time call to ministry, and I told my pastor at the time, then that I felt called to, to seminary and, and she said, I know. Um, and so went right on to, to seminary. I thought I was going to do uh, youth ministry um, full time. So I did that. I did some, uh, was a youth pastor for four years. Um, I left that to be a solo pastor for four years, right after I, uh, my wife and I got married. Um, and then, you know, really that solo pastor ministry was really difficult. Um, as a solo pastor and just kind of that idea of what it looks like to be a solo pastor, um, strong church, strong family, um, based church, but really felt isolated. So, um, you know, heard the call to come to Vero beach and be a part of a, a large staff again. And so, um, it's because of my ministry here I have had very three different experiences in ministry as a, um, suburban church, a rural church, and now, um, what might be a, a resort, uh, type church. Um, and that's kind of led me to do this gospel and culture doctrine of ministry, where you're looking at how the gospel is shared in, in different cultural contexts. Um, and so that's been really um, beneficial for my ministry. So you mentioned um, that at times that has been difficult. One thing that we focus on um, with church relevance is trying to prevent pastor burnout. And I'm wondering if those difficult times, were there ever times when you thought this was not, this was not what you wanted to be doing in life? Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, at the end of my, my last call, the solo pastorate gig, um, I, you know, I found my top myself, you know, looking up uh, car salesman jobs, you know, <laughs> like, you know, it would be easier to sell cars to people than to, than to tell people about Jesus Christ, because, you know, people, I, I think, want to hear about Christ, but they want to hear about Christ that is more palatable for their understanding of who God is. Um, and they don't always want to hear about a Christ who is challenging to the status quo. Um, and so, you know, I really, I really struggled with that. I had the privilege, my, um, I'm a, a pastor in the Presbyterian Church, and my denomination like like many denominations, struggle with the same thing. How do we keep um, pastors from burning out? Or what Will Willimon, who was a United Methodist bishop, he doesn't call it burnout. He calls it blacking out. Um, and so how do we keep that? And so one of the things they do is they do um, a credo initiative in which they bring pastors who've been in the church for several years, and they focus on spiritual help, emotional help, financial help, vocational help. And it was part of that vocational help where I've I renewed my sense of call to, to church ministry, just realizing I was serving in um, the wrong church at the time. And with that, I know it brought you to Vero Beach now. And I know you mentioned it gets the rap of being uh, kind of a retirement location. 
Um, but that's kind of where we're going to jump into the topic of, I'm going to use the term multi-generational ministry, but I know you have a, a, another term for that that we can discuss a bit. So I, I break it down from multi-generational to intergenerational because most churches do ministry across multiple generational divides. Um, what I think we're called to do is do um, ministry within generations. Um, you know, a long, a long time ago, families were more than single family homes. We had multiple generations living in the same household and the grandparents were able to support the work of the parents and, and the grandchildren. Um, and I think the church is that unique place in our society today where we have multiple generations under the same roof, so to speak, um, so that you have the wisdom of a, an older generation really sharing um, their faith with a younger generation. Last night, I, I brought up to my uh, my congregation and our Wednesday night dinner where we have 90-year-olds eating next to one-year-olds. Um, and I brought up uh, 2 Timothy 1, where Paul is, is saying, you know what, I know of your faith because of your grandmother and your mother, you know, Lois and Eunice have poured into you, and that's why you have the faith you have. Uh, and I think that's really kind of a uh, a leader for who we are to be as the church, where we have these intergenerations at work together. Absolutely. And I think, too, with um, like our church, we have a small farm town church, and we, we have the 90-year-olds interacting with, I have a four-year-old and one-year-old. And seeing kids get excited to see their friends at Sunday school is great. But like when we go to a grocery store here and they see the 90 year old and 70 year old shopping and they get just as excited and run up to them and talk like there's just something on a spiritual level that's level that's uh, so delighting. And I, and I just think I just love that idea of the intergenerational that you're talking. Yeah. About. And, and you see that, uh, you know, and that that is one of the blessings that I saw in my last church, even though it was a difficult call for me. Um, it was a family church, and you had these multiple generations coming together. I did more baptisms at a small country church um, than I did even in a suburban church in, uh, outside of Atlanta, and then I've done here in this church. Uh, we did 20 baptisms in a four-year span, and we, in our tradition, we baptize infants. So that just shows to you, you know, we had a lot of birth and a lot of growth and uh, a lot of uh, interaction between generations in the midst of that. And so it's been a blessing to see that. I was just going to say, are there any other stories or key moments and instances that you have observed that made church leaders like adjust how they've done ministry to meet the needs of their community? Oh, that's a good question. Um, you, you know, I think, I think churches fall into the trap that a lot of organizations do is, um, is that we've got to, you know, we've got to, we've got to go after this. It's almost like marketing ourselves um, in a way that the young people can really get into what we're doing. And so then we have to market for the youth and then we have to market for families with children. And then we have to market for early retirees and we have to market for older adults. Um, so I think we fall in this trap of marketing instead of, um, relying that, you know what, Christ and the church have been around for a long time before uh, current marketing practices have been around. Um, <laughs> and, you know, 
especially the triune God has more to offer than we can um, package. Um, and so I think if we allow people to interact with one another, whether it's at a table fellowship on a Wednesday night, whether it's that coffee and, and juice after worship on Sunday, um, the, the older adults really want to see the babies, right? Because in, in our in our community, we do have a lot of grandparents who don't live anywhere near their grandchildren. And we have a lot of grandchildren who don't live anywhere near their grandparents because we are a, a mobile society. And so um, we've got these these grandparents who are coming out. It's like, I just want to hold your baby. And, and we're like, sure, have here, do it. Um, <laughs> you know, so I, I think we fall in the trap. I don't have the answer for how to get out of the trap um, for sure. But I, I, that's what I'm really studying is how do we do that? Um, but I, I think if we just say, look, I want to know your faith. I want to know why you believe what you believe. Um, can you, can you share for me who Christ is for you? Um, and I think then we, we build some relationships that are really lasting and really powerful, um, instead of just building relationships that are marketable. Can you think of a time at, like when this was your aha moment, like, because I don't think people think about that they're unintentionally dividing, you know, the generations within their church. But was there something that really spurred that on for you to notice like, wow, this is what we're unintentionally doing and let's do something about it? There was a time in, in my current church where um, uh, one of the previous pastors, now our senior pastor has been here 20 years and he's, he's young, um, young when he came and still young. Um, and several pastors before him said, um, now we're just going to be a church for retired adults. And, and so he has been fighting that for the last 20 years. And, and it's a hard, it's a hard thing to, to, to kind of get over. Um, but to think of a, a special moment, you know, I think part of it is, um, I have, uh, five, ch- we have five children in our house. My wife and I are foster parents. And so we have a mix of, of, uh, bio children and, and bonus children. Um, and we see that our children, uh, the children of, of our family and the children of my, my senior pastor are treated with, with just this, um, specialness, right? Because they're the pastor's kids. Um, and, and everybody asks about them and everybody wants to kind of see how they're doing. And, and our, our grandparents, you know, our families live uh, in Georgia, you know, about an eight hour drive away. And so we don't have grandparents near us. Um, and so, um, and in, and in our last call, we lived three hours away from our, our family. So we didn't have grandparents near us. And so I just see how wonderful, uh, the, the church is to my children. And I just kind of think, and I like, what if every child in our church was treated like my children are treated? What if every child in our church, um, was loved the way my children are loved? Um, what difference would that make? And so that's really gotten me to think. And so I go to our Christian education committee and I go to our, our fellowship committee and I go to our session. And I say, um, how can we love every child who comes through the doors of this church the way that, that the, my five children are loved and cared for? And you can see on people's faces going, yeah, what would that look like? And so I think that is definitely a, an aha moment. Um, and we see that. 
uh, we had we have a, a program on Wednesday that brings in 50 children from from our community. Some are members of our church and some are not. And we now, for the first year, this program's been going on for years. For the first year, we have some volunteers um, who are ages of grandmothers um, who are greeting these kids as they're getting off the buses and um, sharing a snack with them and helping them with their homework and kind of pouring into them. Um, and that's what I'm talking about, this, this moment where every child who walks through the doors of our church can be treated like my children are treated with love and respect and, um, and just really cherished. And I think that's a, that's been a, a blessing to see. Now, does your church use, um, live streaming to like, connect with the homebound and those who can't make it, but feel like they're like a retired generation of that we, church? We do use live stream. We live stream all of our, uh, our services on Sunday morning. We live stream one of our Bible studies during the week. Um, part of the reason we use live stream is we do have some folks who are homebound um, and they are able to, to connect um, with us while they're um, not able to, to leave their house for whatever reason. We have some folks who are seasonal. And so while well, they may be gone for a season, they may be back up north uh, or you know at, at the lake in Michigan. Um, they join us on Sunday mornings via live stream. Um, we even have some of our families with children. Maybe they're on a vacation. Um, you know, maybe they're at Disney and and they're sitting around their their camper on Sunday morning and and they turn on their iPad and they watch worship together um, with their family. Um, so we we use live stream. We we thought we were using it just for our homebound folks, but have found out that a lot of folks are are um, plugging into it um, when they're on vacation or when they're away or maybe even they're sick. My my wife stayed home for the last two Sundays with our, our youngest who's been sick. And so she's been able to, you know, still be quote unquote in worship while she's been away. I kind of on the same thing as ministers, um, what kind of challenges do do you face when you're dealing with uh, the, the intergenerational? Oh, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> and, and I think that's where, again, kind of going back to, you know, we fall in this trap of marketing Christ instead of um, kind of offering what, what seeing what Christ has for us. Um, you know, because every other community out there is um, a siloed into single or maybe dual generations. You know, our kids are in schools that are kindergarten through fifth or sixth through eighth or ninth through 12th, you know, and so they're really siloed for educational purposes. Um, typically the parents of, of those kids are all in the same age bracket. Um, you know, so they're in, in these really narrow, uh, generations in our community. Um, we have a lot of, uh, neighborhoods that are, um, age restricted neighborhoods, a 55 plus community, um, and so you get people who live alone, you know, live in these really small um, age windows. Um, and, and so they think that that's, you know, that's all they need. And so one of the things at the, at the church level is to say, you know what, you may live in an age restricted community, or you may, you may be at the, the country club, you know, and hang out with the other 30s and 40 year olds. 
um, or you may hang out with the other families with pre with preschoolers. Um, but you do need um, you need to be around folks who are um, older and younger than you. Um, and this is kind of where I go back to um, the intergenerational ministry being the full expression of the triune God. Um, you know, God is in relationship with God's self as uh, what we say as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, or Creator, Redeemer, Sustainer. Um, God cannot exist without um, Creator or Redeemer or Sustainer. Um, God cannot exist without uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, and once we really understand that idea of the Trinity is 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 truly this understanding that God is created in in God's essence to be in relationship, then we too are created to be in relationship and and not just with one other person. Um, that we're created to be in relationship with with multiple people. Um and intimate relationship. Um, you know, like children and and their parents and children and their parents and their grandparents. And you know, I I had the the, the great opportunity as a child to sit at the feet of my great grandmother who was born in 1896. And I remember when I was a kid sitting at her feet and, and asking mama Johnson said, you know, mama Johnson, what was it like when you were a child? Um, and, and my own grandmother who was very near and dear to me, um, she was 60 when I was born. Um, and, uh, lived until her nineties. And I spent, you know, days and nights and weeks and months kind of listening to her and, and allowing her to challenge my faith and even me being able to challenge her faith. Um, and I think that is the expression of the triune God. That's the expression. Um, that's who we're called to be is in this relationship. So I think one of the challenges for pastors is, is reminding people that not to buy what society has to offer, um, but, but to live into this, this idea um, of who God is and that that is where we find fulfillment. Um, that is where we find wholeness or shalom. I love that. I love that idea of, of multiple generations, which now I, I more fully get the concept of intergenerational uh, ministry because you're you're tying together these parts of the whole that can be separate but that are um more powerful as a a whole have you have you seen um any one generation kind of improve within your ministry or make ties that they wouldn't have otherwise because of events or things that you've put together that have have connected generations? I don't know if I've seen any one generation, um, but what I have seen is um, what, what I love to see in our church, and we have a lot of 90-year-olds, right? Um, I, I love to see our 90-year-olds welcome the children. Um, several years ago, when we first started fostering, um, my wife and I took in um, a brother and sister. And we got them into our house, excuse me, late on a, on a Thursday. And we didn't have time to 
to introduce them or to get them into school yet. And so I had a, a men's luncheon at the church. And so I brought them, I brought them with me to the men's luncheon. And, um, they were a two and a half year old boy and a, an 18 month old, uh, sister. And, uh, we had this 90 year old, uh, who used to be, a uh, an executive for IBM. Right. Um, and he, he sat down and this, um, this two and a half year old little boy crawled into the lap of this 90 year old former IBM executive and just sunk into him and just kind of like melted. I mean, this is a kid who's gone through trauma and he just melted into the lap of this 90 year old man. And I'm going, yeah, absolutely. This is fantastic. This, this is it. And the 18-month-old sat right next door, right next to him, and she ate three plates of food. <laughs> these, these old <laughs> men, right? Not even old women, but these old men. You you could just see the love um, gush out of them for these kids that they have never seen and and wouldn't see for very long after that. Um, it, it was it was a beautiful thing, and so I, what I see is this: the the oldest generation and the youngest generation have this natural affinity for each other, um, and, and that's so that's really been a joy to see. Mm, I love that. I I think I heard a priest one time say that it was during a, a baptism ceremony, and he he told everyone to put their arm like across their chest onto their shoulder, and to just imagine um, holding a baby. And that that like scientifically has been proven to lower your heart rate. Like just the thought of holding a child has that power. That's great. And kind of for those listening uh, that are having their eyes open to maybe this very thing that's happening in their church, um, it could be overwhelming to some with the realization of like, oh, it's so simple. How do we not see this happening in our church? Um, What's some advice you would give to them to like kind of get started on bridging that gap in how they're doing ministry or even how they're just interacting uh, with the church. Well, and I think you're right, Luke. I think it's already happening. Um, I think, you know, what we as pastors are called to do is not just witness to the text, uh, but to witness to the body of Christ at work and in worship. Um, And so what we get to do from the pulpit is we get to say, this is the word of God. This is what it's saying to me. And this is what I think it could be saying to you. What we also get to say from the pulpit is look right there. That's where it's happening. It's happening on the third pew or the, or the fourth set of chairs. It's happening over here. Um, and to, and to be storytellers for our congregations um, to not only tell the stories of, of scripture, but to allow the stories of our congregations to rise up um, and to be told again and again. Because I think once we tell stories of, of where it's already happening and where we're, where we're really attentive to where intergenerational ministry is already happening, it, it allows it to happen more and more, right? Um, when you think you're the only one doing it, or you think that somebody else is doing it, um, you you may not you may not do it anymore or you may not step up to do it. But when you can tell the story of, of, um, of how it's happening and you can be attentive to it and you can continue to tell the story that people say, I want to be a part of that story. You know, if, if you're telling me 
that the full expression of the triune God is to be in relationship with people that, that aren't just like me. I want to be a part of that expression. And so one of the things that we as a pastors do is we, we tell those stories. We witness to the, the work and worship of, of the body of Christ. We witness to this full expression. Um, and, you know, you, you see a, you see a, a grandparent, quote unquote, holding a baby or shaking hands with, with a three-year-old. Um, you see, um, you see an older adult who's willing to, to bend down or to even get on a knee, which is really difficult for them physically and, and to welcome a child, um, into the church, you know, and and maybe you treat, you teach your ushers to do that. Um, we have a story, um, where our other pastor, his son, when he was a little boy, um, his dad was telling him about uh, one of the members who had died and, um, and his dad said, do you remember? He goes, Oh, I remember. I remember him very well. And his dad was like, why do you remember him so well? And, um, he said, because he was one of the ushers who always treated me like a person, not like a child. And this usher bent down to welcome, welcome our pastor's son into the church. He didn't talk down to him. He just physically changed his body to welcome him into the life of the church. And, you know, it's, it's little things like that. You know, children, what, what does Jesus say? He's like, welcome them, <laughs> you know, make room for them. Um, when we isolate kids, when we send them out because they're distracting or they're too loud, um, you know, I think we do a disservice. Um, but if we welcome them, um, you know, witness to what is already happening, I think people want to be a part of that story. That reminds me of a time when uh, one of my daughters was in like a Palm Sunday <laughs> ceremony and we do the full on big, huge palm leaves uh, that actually grow right outside the church and they, they proceed uh, around the sanctuary and she, she was tickling an older man on his bald head (laughs) with this palm. And, and he was laughing. I think, you know, I had this quick prayer, like, please don't let him (laughs) be offended by this. But I think that that that's the very expression of what you're talking about is welcoming those opportunities and allowing those engagements to happen and to kind of create a wholeness that is sometimes missing. And, and that's it. It's creating wholeness, right? Or it's, or it's co-creating wholeness, right? Because we can't create wholeness by ourselves. We have to co-create it. And, and I think that's really part of it. Absolutely. And, and so I lead, I've led worship at my church for going on six years now. And, and our church there's a 40 year gap between the younger generation and the older generation. So it's definitely, uh, you can tell what's what, uh, and finding that gap, uh, finding that bridge of what songs are, are everyone going to enjoy and not complain about after. Um, and when we started, we would play the older hymns and the older generation would love it, but the younger generation would be like, eh. and then we play younger music and the older generation would be like, what's going on. But what we saw over time was, the younger people started seeing the older generation and how they were responding to the hymns. And then they started hearing back in my day about their stories and their history of that hymn and how, how it worked through their lives. And then we started seeing that ripple effect into the service where the younger generation started genuinely worshiping during the hymns that they were, I don't want to say complaining about, but weren't as air quotes hip. Uh, and, and because of that interaction, um, 
between the two and, and really finding that purpose, it really made it whole. And I think that's exactly kind of what you were just talking about. Yeah. And what a great opportunity maybe to gather around on a, on a, a family night fellowship. And, and the program is, is a, a hymn fest or a song fest. And so maybe, you know, different folks from different generations choose songs that they like. And you don't just sing that song, but you say, oh, this is why this means something to me. Yeah, right. Exactly. Next time that comes up in worship, those young people or those old people go, oh, you know, uh, John loves this song. And, and so I'm going to love this song because I love John. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And it's just a blessing to see on top of it. So it, it continually just grows and grows. Yeah. No, I think that's right. And I guess finally coming in for a landing, um, what changes do you see or do you think will happen as churches become pros uh, at attending to these needs? I I think, you know, we, we pray in the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come on earth as, as it is in heaven. Um, and, and so we usher in God's kingdom. And one of the ways that we usher in God's kingdom is by uh, being attentive to this this full expression of, of the Trinity through this ministry. Um, one of the things is what changes is I think the church can lead the way um, in our society because what you're going to get when you, when you find folks who are multiple generations is um, it's easy for an older generation to say, Oh, these young people, they don't know anything, especially if they sit in there um, age restricted communities and they don't know any young people. But when the um, an older adult or younger adults are talking about um, what have become bipartisan uh, political issues or um, sociological issues or economic issues, instead of saying these young people don't know anything, um, for them to to grow in this relationship with people of different generations within the church, and then for them to say, you know, if, if they're sitting around, you know, at, at Panera, you know, in the middle of the day drinking their coffee and, and another person who maybe not is, is not part of a, a church with a strong intergenerational ministry. And they say, oh, these young people, they don't know anything. And, and somebody in my church who, who has just sung a song with John says, you know what? I'm not so sure about that because I've had the opportunity to get to know John, who is, you know, 50 years younger than I am. And I'm telling you, he's got a good heart and he's got a good mind. And we may not always agree on things, but I love John and I'm not sure that he doesn't know anything. You know, so I, I really think if the church can can fully embrace um, relational ministry with one another, um, then, then I really think it has the chance that the opportunity to kind of change um, the rhetoric we hear outside the church um, and and allow people to grow into relationships with one another beyond the walls of the church. Um, and, you know, and I don't think that's a, a utopic idea. I think it really is how we're called to be. Um, you know, Niebuhr talks about Christ against culture or Christ of culture, um, but really lifts up this Christ in culture. Um, and so what we do in, in the church is supposed to be lived out beyond those walls. And so I think when we fully embrace this ministry, we, we can affect in a, in a deep way um, 
kind of how our communities live out beyond the church. To add to that, do you think that embracing this approach to ministry can also be beneficial to ministers who are facing burnout? Can you see it playing into that in some way? Yeah, I think it can. Again, I think we idolize or worship this idea of of freedom and independence. Um, And so ministers, I mean, we think, I've I've got to do this. I'm the one who's called. I'm the one who's ordained. I'm the one who had hands laid on me. I have to do this. Um, But when we quickly learn, um, yes, I am called to it. I'm called to do it um, with the grace of God and with the with the partnership of, of lay people, um, with, with the partnership of, of pastors who've gone on before me, with the partnership of, of pastors who come behind me. You know, I'm, I'm in a point in my ministry where some of the, the youth um, that I was their youth pastor um, are, are getting their degrees. Um, some of the youth that I was camp counselor for are serving churches as youth directors and um, even ministers of word and sacrament. And so I was their leader, but now it's time for me to listen to what they have to say, right? And I have the advantage of a, of a pastor who served this church 20 years and, and is in a different generation than I am. And so I'm, I'm called to listen to him. And we have a retired pastor who, um, who is part of our, our community. And, and I, I get to listen to him and, we do ministry very differently. And so um, I think for pastors to, to say, look, I, I can't do this by myself. I mean, the, the wisdom of the church is that we've been here already. <laughs> you know, this is not new. It's just a refreshing. And on that idea of the wisdom of the church, uh, we kind of wanted to pick your brain. Uh, what we like to do is ask kind of if there's any books that you would recommend right now or current books that you're reading. Um, whether it's about intergenerational or what's what's really moving you right now uh, that we can share with the listeners at home. Oh my gosh! Um, <laughs> yeah, you're, you're you're talking to somebody who is who reads a lot for his D men right now. So um, <laughs> we love the books. Yeah, we love the books. Um, yeah, as far as um, as far as like pastoral ministry, you know, when I when I kind of go into those moments where I'm just exhausted and I need to be, um, to be lifted up. One of the books I've read recently as a a refresher is Dietrich Bonhoeffer's life together. Um, which is, is a beautiful, a beautiful book. Um, uh, uh, an author I read a lot when I need to be, uh, lifted up is, um, Eugene Peterson. Um, Eugene Peterson, of course, is the one who translated scripture, from the original Hebrew and Greek and to what we have is the message. Um, he is a, a Presbyterian pastor and I've, I've read several of his things. I mean, he's got so many um, things, whether it's about pastoral ministry or whether it's just about being a Christian. Um, uh, Eugene Peterson is, is really phenomenal. Um, uh, Will Willimon, I mentioned, he's got some, some resources out there about, um, pastoral ministry. Um, and I think it's calling in character where he talks about, you know, ministers don't always burn out, but sometimes they black out. Um, and how do we, um, move beyond that? Um, Barbara Brown Taylor, um, is an Episcopal priest and and professor and 
my mentor actually gave me a book from her um, called uh, Leaving Church. She gave it to me as I was being ordained into the church. Nice. Um, because Barbara Brown Taylor really has struggled with this call to ministry and, and what the church is called to do and how we're, um, we're called to move and beyond that. And so she's, she's phenomenal. Um, you know, I, I love Rachel Held Evans and some of her, um, challenges to the church. Um, you know, and, and she's a great loss, of course, in our, um, in our communities as well. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, you know, I, it's, right now I'm, I'm reading for this, this class on, um, the theology of community and, and the book I'm reading right now is about, uh, 19, uh, 1964 in Mississippi. Um, ah, that's my home state. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a several different articles about some of the leaders of the, um, civil rights movement, especially the, mm-hmm. the, the voting, um, getting folks to vote during that summer. Um, and the article I read yesterday was about Ed King, who was a, a Methodist minister who had this visitation program where he would take um, multiple, multiple folks, black and white to, to churches and say, we, you know, we'd like to worship. And churches said, I'm sorry, you're not allowed. You, you can't come here. Um, and so I went to, to our church records and, and find out, you know, what did first Presbyterian church in Vero beach do in 1964? Did we make a policy that said black people can't worship or did we, did we welcome people? And, um, much to my happy surprise, I found out that we made a policy that said, um, we would welcome, (laughs) we would welcome people. Oh, that's Um, wonderful. You know, so that, I think everything you read really has the power to impact your ministry. Um, and so I, you know, the same question, do we, do we make policies that welcome children and young people? Do we make policies that welcome older adults? Do we make policies that welcome people with, with, um, physical, uh, disabilities with, um, mental disabilities? I mean, do we, uh, do we welcome all people into the life of the church and not just say, okay, you can sit here, but say, we welcome you. We are glad you are here. You are loved by God. And because you are loved by God, you're going to be loved by us too. Mm, to be the, the face and body of Christ. Yeah. Great. I'm adding a few to my reading list right now. <laughs> well, we, we are uh, arriving at our conclusion, Michael, and I just want to kind of leave it open for you with anything that you'd like to share with uh, the ministry leaders out there. Uh, that have been listening to this? Uh, you know, it's, I, I don't want to come across as if I've got everything figured out. You know, um, part of the reason I've chosen this as my, my research project and my dissertation is that um, I want to begin to figure it out um, and also trust that it's not going to be fully figured out. And I'm, I may come to the end of my dissertation and go, oh, I had it all wrong. You know, I missed something here. Um but what I do want to kind of remind my colleagues in ministry is that that just as we're supposed to be attentive to the Word of God, we are supposed to be attentive to the work that our people are doing in our midst, and and to use those as illustrations as we lift up what God is doing, um, to celebrate and to give thanks for uh, the ministry of our people, 
um, and to remember that we are in ministry with people um, and and not isolated by ourselves. You know, it is it is a difficult calling. I am forever thankful for my my high school pastor who said, "If there's anything else you can do, do it," because when when your back is against the wall and ministry gets hard and there are long nights of hospital visits and um, attending attending to people who are who are dying um, and who are suffering, you know, you, you need to know that this is what God has called you to. Um, and that's where you find that strength to do it in the midst of community. And that community is what's, what's vitally important. Amen. Well, Michael, I just want to thank you again so much for sitting down with us. Uh, I'm so excited to get this out there for everyone to hear. It's going to be so beneficial. Uh, and also we'll be continuing to pray for you as you pursue your doctorate. And that it's as stress-free yeah. as possible and as successful as possible for Great. you. Great. Thank you very much. I've, I've enjoyed our conversation today. And with that, that concludes the second episode of the Church Relevance Podcast. I'd like to thank you so much for listening and know that we're continuing to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ out there. We know being a ministry leader isn't easy. And if you felt inspired, enlightened, or even just challenged from this podcast, we pray for the confidence that you continue to pursue that and do what God's called you to do. I'll talk to you next week.